everyone, and welcome to the Kajabi Edge podcast, where we talk to real entrepreneurs to give you an edge on Kajabi. I'm your host, Jared Lohman, Vice President of Customer Experience. And today I am joined by my friend, Jamie Sears, owner and CEO of Not So Wimpy Teacher. How's it going today, Jamie? Hey, Jared. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Not So Wimpy Teacher. Tell us all about what it means to be a Not So Wimpy Teacher. (laughs) The name Not So Wimpy Teacher, I get asked about it all the time. I bet. I was a third grade teacher and my third grade students helped me to name my business all the way back in January of 2013 when I first got started. They gave me the name because they were so stuck on those um, Wimpy Kid books. Uh And so we had a little class vote and they voted for Not So Wimpy Teacher. But here at Not So Wimpy Teacher, we help elementary school teachers in grades two through five to have more engaging and effective lessons in the classroom. I help to create resources for them to use with their students and I make it easy for them so you don't have to work at night and on the weekends. That sounds like a dream. So I have I have a slight like just maybe extra special attachment to this because my wife actually taught kindergarten and first grade for about five years. So I I, I, I I know a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit. I've, I've heard stories. Let's just put it that way. Now, most people are surprised when they hear that teachers aren't just given all the resources that they need in order to teach. Very few teachers are. We buy our books, we buy our furniture, we buy the workbooks, the lessons, the activities, the centers, all of the things that maybe you see your children bringing home from the classroom are generally purchased by teachers. And that's tough because they don't make a lot of money. And so I started my business because I wanted some more activities for my kiddos to do in the classroom, but I couldn't afford it. And so I had this thought, like I will make one activity and I'll sell it to some other teachers. If I make $20 a month, then I could buy $20 worth of activities every month for my kids. And it it seemed like this brilliant idea. I just need to make $20 a month. I had no idea I was creating an entire business when I did it. I absolutely love that. That that was like the the goal is to just kind of fund your own teaching journey. Um, So talk to us a little bit about like that that kind of covers like the genesis and what we normally go into. But um, like, uh, understandably, this challenge is is like pretty straightforward. Uh, Teachers are spending a lot of time after hours. You've got the solve. But like, what was it about? Like, did you have like particularly good resources? Like, were you did you have a skill set in that area, I guess? Or what was it? I was a brand new teacher, actually. And so I didn't have any resources whatsoever to use in the classroom. And I was overwhelmed by the fact that I needed to be ready to teach reading and math and science and social studies and writing. It just felt like so much. It was so overwhelming to me. And I knew how to digital scrapbook. So I used to be a stay-at-home mom and I took a million pictures of my kids. I have five kids and I learned how on my own to scrapbook those pictures digitally. And since I knew how to do that, it's how I made my first resource. I actually opened up my photo editor program because it's all I knew how to use. And I started playing with the layers and text boxes and things that I knew were in the photo editor program, created my first resource. I will tell you, it was ugly, but it did the job back then. And I was pretty impressed with it back then. But really, the only skills that I had was that scrapbooking. I just had this desire to do well for my students, though. And I feel like sometimes when you're desperate for something, then, you know, some of the best work just comes from heart. And that's what I did. I just kept thinking, like, what would make this lesson easier for my student? What would help them to understand this story, this skill, anything? And I would just create short little resources. At the time, they were just 
just very short little resources. And I put them up on an open marketplace. My resources were usually $2 or less. So yeah, my goal is only make $20 a month. So I didn't have to have anything too expensive and teachers couldn't afford much anyway. And so $2 plus the marketplace took a percentage too. So I would make like $1.25 a purchase or something. And that's really how it started. But then I got more passionate. I saw teachers loving my resources. And so I started to study more. I started to read more books about teaching, especially. And that's really where my resources started to get even better and better. I mainly focused on the subject areas that teachers were complaining about the most that seemed to have the fewest resources. And for me, that seemed to be writing and grammar. That's where teachers were really struggling. And I thought those aren't my favorite subjects to teach either, but I can make the biggest impact and help the most teachers if I start really honing in on my skills in writing and grammar. And I started to create bigger resources. You know, I started making the goal of like, my resources have to be enough value to charge $5 or $10. And I slowly grew from there. But I started with almost no skill set whatsoever and just built upon my passion. I love it. Well, I'd love to kind of just zone in a little bit on like, how did you go about finding an audience for that? Like, did you start with just calling a few teachers down the road? Or how did you take that to market? Well, I was actually using the resource in my classroom and a teacher from down the hallway came in and she was looking at it and she said, man, I would pay for that. And I was like, hmm, all right. So that, you know, that put the idea in my head, but I put it up on a really well-known marketplace website. I didn't do any market. I didn't know I had a business. I didn't know I was supposed to market. And I will say that was back in 2013 and there weren't as many online entrepreneurs either. And in some cases that helped me to get started. I would just take an ugly picture of my resource and put it on Pinterest and teachers love Pinterest. And so it ended up being a really great source of traffic for us. But I relied mainly on that marketplace, advertising their marketplace and bringing in teachers. I didn't go do outside marketing. And obviously, if I had, I could have grown faster in those early years. But I think it's okay because I was still honing in on my skills of creating the right resources for teachers anyway. And so it kind of gave me that time to build that skill set. And then once I realized, like, I have a business, it hit me one day, like, this is not $20 a month. This legitimately is a business. It could take over and be my full time income. I need to start treating it like it. And that's when I started to, to learn more about marketing. And I found that actually marketing and entrepreneurship were so much fun to me. I enjoyed everything there was to learn about marketing and online entrepreneurship. And so I just dug into it. Like I loved listening to podcasts and I would join every Facebook group and read every book I could get my hands on. It became one of my favorite things. And that's when I saw my business just go from, you know, being a $50 to $100 a month to legitimately having a seven-figure business. Was it at that $50 a month? Like, was was that the moment that you realized that, like, this is a business? Or, or what was it that, I guess, told you that, like, this is real? Yeah. I remember the day really specifically. Um, it was only six months into my business, actually. It was a day in July and we were driving with my whole family on vacation. And I'm watching my sales come in. And I said, oh my gosh, I made $50 today. Just today. And I'm on vacation. And I told my husband that and I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quit teaching. Well, I got up my calculator and I did 50 times 365 and I realized, okay, oh, I'm not I'm not gonna quit teaching yet. <laughs> this isn't actually enough money to live on yet. But 
it was in that moment that I was like, if I can make $50 this easily, I hadn't really done marketing yet. If I can make $50 this easily, imagine what I could do. If I really built up the catalog of resources I had, if I learned about marketing, if I treated it like a business. And so that August was huge for me because I began to think of myself as running a business and not just um, creating resources just for my students, but I was creating resources for students across the country. Okay. Okay. And like, oh, I guess like maybe fast forwarding a little bit, like, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to describe what it is, but like, I, I, I look at this as like almost a teacher empire. Like you, you, you've got quite the, quite the program. You've got not just one, but you also mentioned you have another business too, or another focus at least, I guess, take us on the journey. Like, it sounds like this was a lot of, of great circumstances that came into a play and, you know, they went one right after the other, but I imagine there were challenges and hurdles here. Like this doesn't all just, doesn't always come together perfectly. So like what, what happened in between the time of like, I'm creating resources to, I've got my teacher empire now. Well, I think it's important that all your listeners here, it's not rainbows and unicorns every day in anyone's business. Even when you look at your person you admire the most, and you're just looking at what they're putting on social media and in their emails, it's not easy every single day. That's not going to happen. We have had our fair share of struggles. I consider them learning opportunities. And I've gone through a lot of coaching to help me to really see the learning opportunities. But we've had everything from like, our website crashing on the day of our biggest sale. We've, you know, had oodles of typos in resources that we sell to teachers who use them with kids to teach them how to spell. I mean, oh, no. <laughs> we've had, you know, conflicts within our team. We've had to learn how to hire. We've had to learn how to fire. Um, we've had to learn how to be productive and how to prioritize our tasks. And we've had to learn all of these things after we failed first. So the failure is what showed us exactly what we needed to, to learn how to do better in order to be successful. So like when, when building up that, that audience, which, you know, sounds like it started off organically, you, you got serious about marketing. I guess, I, I think our listeners would love to know, like when you got serious about this, like what are the, what are the tools? What are the techniques that you put in place that were successful, at least for you and like scaling up what was, you know, maybe like a, oh, we know it's, it's not a hobby it's a business for you, but it wasn't at first. It started a hobby for sure. Yeah. The first thing that I think really um, helped me is that I started Facebook groups for my teacher community. And I started Facebook groups when Facebook groups were kind of new. So I do think there's something to be said for staying on top of the social media trends. Not that you need to run and chase every trend, but stay on top of it and decide which one is going to be your home, your place. And I decided to have a Facebook group. I now have four, one for each grade level that we serve. And we serve over 200,000 teachers inside of our Facebook groups. But having the Facebook groups was really important for the growth of my business. It wasn't just about selling to them. It's now a community of my audience who come together and tell me all their problems. It's so much easier to know what I need to solve when I can hear it straight from them. And so they are coming into these groups and they're asking questions. Hey, anyone know a great website for my students to use during math? Does anyone know a great resource for this, for that? And I'm I'm researching, I'm learning, I'm asking questions. I'm hearing the exact words they use. I use those exact words in my marketing. I decide what product to make next by listening to their biggest problems. I'm not going to make a product to solve a problem they are not talking about on a regular basis. I make the products that solve the problems they're talking about every single night when they get home. And so those Facebook groups were really important to me, but I also sell inside those Facebook groups. We focus on getting them to our email list, which I will tell you the biggest mistake I made was not starting the email list 
first. Like I went all Facebook groups, all social media. It's everything they tell you not to do for a reason. (laughs) But I didn't know any better. But now, I mean, we focus on everyone in our Facebook group. We say all roads lead to the email list. And that's what our team says about everything. All roads lead to the email list. So when they're in our group, we are always telling them about our lead magnets. Always. We never stop talking about the lead magnets because we want to get them to our email list. Once they're to our email list, we send them to our blog. We send them to our YouTube channel. We can send them to podcasts. We can send them to products. We can sell them our courses, memberships, things that we have available. And we have much more control with our email list. And so we consider those Facebook groups now sort of just a a step in that journey, in the customer journey. We don't want them to stay just in the Facebook group. They stop by the Facebook group. They get some really good value from the other teachers and from us. And then they make it to our email list where we continue to provide value and we sell to them. We like repeat customers. And when they're on your email list, it's so much easier to increase the rate of repeat buyers. I don't have to find them again on social. I don't have to pay again for an ad or rely on social's algorithm. I just have to get them to open the email and click, which is a little bit easier. So uh, that was kind of the journey we took to really marketing. And we, I mean, still to this day, it's, it's the Facebook groups and our email list. We produce a lot of content, but that's just to serve the people who are on our email list. That sounds kind of almost like the foundation of what you, your entire business was. You wanted, you were creating content to serve an audience. And in that case, it was your students. You've taken that same concept and applied that to your, your customers of today, which is really, really, really cool. Um, one thing that I forgot to mention at the beginning, this is month of March. We got International Women's Day. Um, we are celebrating all of our female Kajabi heroes this month. I, I think you, you've, you've touched a lot on both the beginning and the end of your story, like started out as teacher. Now you're highly successful, but I just want to like, if, if you don't mind, like I know I, I can tell you're a very humble person, but like, I want to, I want the listeners to know like just how much you have achieved. I know you have a few like cool success stories that you might be able to touch on here. Like, first of all, just like, if you're willing to tell us a little bit about your like Kajabi success, if you're willing to share numbers, like, I think that would be incredible. Yeah, absolutely. I love to inspire other entrepreneurs with me story because I was inspired by an entrepreneur and that's how I created my course. I was doing a lot of Facebook lives inside of my Facebook groups back in 2018. My my business was about five years old and I was doing a lot of Facebook lives, which were so uncomfortable to me. So if you feel uncomfortable on video, I did too. And they weren't Facebook lives were pretty new back then. So um I didn't have a lot of people to learn from. I felt like I was out there and I was really uncomfortable, but I showed up every single day for a month. If you want to get over a fear, do something every single day for a month. After a month, you're like, that wasn't, I could do that. I was less scared. But I noticed I was teaching my audience because my audience wanted to know stuff. They didn't just want to buy stuff. They wanted to know stuff. They wanted to know like, how could I teach writing better to my students? How did you teach her? How did you fit grammar in? How did you do this? How did you do that? And so I just got on live and I started teaching my teacher audience. They would ask a million questions. So what I thought was gonna be a 30 minute live, like an hour later, I had like no voice. And I was like, I gotta go guys. I have to go to the bathroom. I can't stay here all day. And it got me thinking like, they want more, they want more, they want more. And I happened to be listening to a podcast of one of my own mentors. She was talking about her digital course. And I was like, hmm, I mean, maybe I need a digital course. It was kind of a new concept for my teacher audience. They love to learn and they take classes, but usually schools bring the speaker to the school or the teacher goes to a conference in person. The online course was still relatively new in my space. And so 
I just knew though, I knew that teachers love to learn. They want to know more. They want to do well for their students. I have some ideas. I'm not an, like an expert. Like I, I didn't have, I don't have a PhD in this, but I'd had success with my own students and I could teach them how I had been successful with my student. And so I created my first online course. I created it when I, I had a newborn. I would just have her in my lap while I was writing out outlines and things. And I would record the lessons while she was napping. I didn't have good equipment or any Thing. But I just pushed forward and decided that the first version could be a little bit ugly, sort of like my first version of my, te- my teacher resources that I had sold, and that we could keep getting better from there. But we had to put something out to the world. And so I created that course. We launched it in June of 2019. And we had a webinar launch. It was my first time ever doing a webinar. We ended up selling over 2,600 courses in that first launch. It was a $97 course, which is very expensive in our niche. I'm not saying everyone should have what they could consider a cheap course. $97 expensive in my niche. And so yeah. um, we sold t- uh, over 2,600 courses, which brought in... We had a little bit of an upsell. So we brought in over $275,000 in that one-week launch. Did that like just absolutely blow you away? I was so surprised. I mean, it blew every goal. It blew the stretch goals. I had no idea what I was doing. And yet people were like, okay, I'll buy. I had an ugly sales page. It said terrible stuff. I used like a template that someone gave me. And when I look back at it, I'm like, oh, it's so negative. And it didn't re- it wasn't really speaking to my audience the way I know how to now. But I just didn't wait for it to be perfect. I put out the ugly sales page. I did the webinar that I now know wasn't all that great. Now that I know more about webinars, the course that didn't have perfect audio or perfect video, but we, we just put it up there. We used Kajabi as our hosting site because it was simple and we're not web designers. We didn't know how to put a whole course together. So we went, we got Kajabi and we actually used Kajabi's customer support and they helped us every step of the way of putting our course up. We had no clue what we we're doing. And so when we launched this and we had this six-figure launch right out the bat, we were like, this is good. We have to launch this again. Like this is really good. And so our course is now um, a few years old, three years old now. We've launched it several times and we just put it on Evergreen. But so far, we have sold over 11,000 of this one course. And it's called the Not So Would Be Writing Masterclass. And it teaches elementary school teachers how to teach writing. We've made a massive impact, which got us thinking we need to create another course. And so this summer, we're launching our second ever course. And it's going to be the Not So Wimpy Math Masterclass. So we're pretty excited that we're on our way to putting together this library of courses that teachers will be able to take whenever they want to continue to grow in their own practice. That's absolutely amazing. So I, I'd love to, I guess, just timeline-wise, um, like where, what was the maturity of your business when you first decided to launch the course? Yeah, I think that's really important because sometimes I feel like um, brand new entrepreneurs put together their first course and they're like, I'm going to have a million dollar launch today. And they're disappointed when that's not how it goes down. And I want to be really honest and say, my business was almost six years old. It was five and a half, six years old at that time. I did have an email list and I had thriving Facebook groups. My email list wasn't you know, as strong as it is today, but my business was not brand new. I didn't exactly 
no best practices. I was not a webinar expert by any means, but I did have an existing business. It doesn't mean you can't launch a course with a new business, but I think it's important that you realize it's a journey and you have to start somewhere and you put something out into the world. You continue to listen to your audience. You continue to improve upon it. You may have to re-record a lesson or a whole course. I had to re-record my whole course because I made a rookie error Uh in all my videos. I said which module and which lesson it was. So it'd be like, hi, this is module four, lesson three. (laughs) Well, after my audience took the course, they would say things like, I am confused. I don't understand this. And so I had to add lessons, but I couldn't because I had said... So then there would be like, this is module four bonus lesson. (laughs) In between three and four. And so later I ended up re-recording with better sound and um, some extra help to make it look even better and sound even better. But I do think it's important that if if it's new and you're brand new entrepreneur, when I was a brand new entrepreneur, I had to start from somewhere. I didn't make a million dollars my first summer of my business, but it was the, the effort that I continued to put in, continued to learn, continued to improve, continued to listen to my audience. And I didn't give up. And that's how I created you know, a seven-figure business over time. It didn't happen overnight. Yeah. And I think that regardless of whether it was a course or the resources, like whatever you would have put your heart and passion into, like even if you would have reversed this and like resources came later, I think you probably would have been on that same success journey. Um, it was just a matter of what you chose in that process. So um, this, well, once again, like celebrating, highlighting our female entrepreneurs, like for any of our, you know, aspirational female entrepreneurs listening to this amazing, amazing stories. You mentioned yourself that you've kind of looked up to an entrepreneur in your space. What does it feel like? I mean, I, I don't know, maybe you don't even realize this, but I'm imagining like there's probably several other aspiring female entrepreneurs out there listening to this thinking, I want to be just like Jamie. What's what's that like for you? I definitely did go into this thinking this is where I would be today. So it is strange to me. I went to um, a conference by a big entrepreneur and a bunch of people kept coming up to me. They recognized me and they knew me. And I was with a friend and she was like, I'm going to start charging them to talk to you. <laughs> and it was strange to me that people knew me, people recognized me. That was, that was crazy. And they wanted to know advice. They had great questions. I feel like if you have a mentor in the online space and you have this opportunity to create a relationship and ask questions, you should do so. Because I learned how to get here by following other mentors. And so often as women, we're really scared to ask people to pay us for what we do. I see it so often. And, and some of it may come from like, we are used to being wives and mothers and giving, giving, giving. And then we make something great. And we want to put it in the world and we cut ourselves short. We're scared to charge what we're worth. We're, we're scared to put value on our time and our talent. And so I think it's really important that female entrepreneurs have a mentor who is a female that they can look up to and aspire and learn from. You don't have to copy, but follow some of their mindset um, tweaks. That's usually where you're going to get the farthest is follow some of their beliefs about goals and productivity and money. And you're going to find yourself growing really fast in your business. Jumping back just a little bit. um, I I love stories just like this to where it is someone who's working the regular job, whether it's someone working at a bank or a grocery store or a restaurant or a teacher um, who ultimately manages to fulfill their dreams. Or maybe for you, it maybe wasn't even your dream. You just you, you managed to accomplish beyond what you ever expected. So like for anyone listening, I, I'm curious, like how long I, I like to like to learn 
about the timeline. How long did it take you to go from creating resources to like quit my day job? Uh, I actually went fast in my opinion. I mean, there's things I could have done to make it go faster, but I didn't know. You don't know what you don't know. So I started my business in uh, January, February, 2013. I didn't know it was a business, so I didn't write down what date it was. I didn't put the dollar up on the wall or anything, but it was early 2013. In the school year in 2016, I left my teaching position because my husband said, every day you go to teach, you actually cost us money. If you'd stay home and work in the business, we actually would make more money. And I know he was really focused on the money, but and I, I liked it too. It's okay to like making some money. Sure. But I realized that my impact would be bigger if I stayed home and created resources and helped classrooms across the country. I loved my impact in the classroom as a teacher, but I only had 25 kids at a time. And if I made resources and hundreds, thousands of teachers bought them, then I would have tens of thousands of students using them. That felt like a bigger impact to me. So I was really motivated to leave the classroom in 2016. And in 2017, I retired my husband, who was a pediatric nurse. He left his job and he now works for me. He does all my Facebook ads. He's pretty amazing at Facebook ads. But no, you can't have him. He's all mine. (laughs) (laughs) And then in 2018, we started to grow a team. And so I hired my best teaching friend, took her out of the classroom. She joined the team the next year, took another teacher. We now have a team where there's 22 of us, 11 part-time and 11 full-time. And so we are so passionate about giving jobs to other teachers who have worked so hard in the classroom and they often just can't afford living expenses. They want to make a difference and help students and teachers. They're so passionate, but they still need a little extra cash to be able to put dinner on the table. And so we get really passionate about offering them positions in our company where they can use their expertise to make a huge impact and still pay the bills. And still kind of in the same space too. Like still like like if they are particularly passionate about education, still making a big impact there. You're like the the teacher liberator, it sounds like. Well, the school I used to teach at doesn't speak to me much anymore. (laughs) I don't think I'm allowed in the front door. And (laughs) I'm not trying to grab teachers out of the classroom. In fact, it's quite the opposite. I want to make teaching easy enough that teachers don't have to work on nights and weekends so that they can take back some of their life so that they're not working 60 hours a week. I want to make it so that they can stay in the classroom. But if they can't, if they really can't do that, then I love to be able to welcome people to my team so that we can continue on the mission. And I just hiring teachers, hiring other women has been incredibly fun for me. Giving teachers a job where they feel really um, empowered and they feel appreciated. We work really hard to make them feel appreciated because those are things that teachers don't often feel in the workplace, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, I guess uh, just zoning in a little bit more on your your course, like you mentioned, you have a few things coming down the pipeline, a launch coming up. Can you, uh, what details can you share about like what's next? Yeah. So right now we are working on our second course and that's going to be a math masterclass, which will also be for teachers in grades two through five. It's going to help them to implement a really successful math workshop in their classroom. So we'll be launching that in June. We have been hinting to our audience. They don't really it, but they are writing the course. It's their answers, their problems, their solutions. They write the course. That's how we know it's going to be super successful because we've been listening to them. So that's coming out in June and we're really excited about that. In July, we just had to go back to our roots, back to that summer where I went live every single day with my audience. And we're going to do that again. We're going to go live every single day in the month of July and we're going to teach. 
for free. We're just teaching what we know, passionately sharing with our audience while they're on their summer break. Because guess what? Teachers work all summer. And we just really want to support them. It's been a crazy couple of years for teachers. And so we're going to really support them. And then in 2023, I have my first book coming out, which I'm really, really excited about. Exciting. Can you do any spoilers, details or? Yeah, um, I'm super excited. Have a deal with um, Penguin Random House. I just finished the manuscript for a book called How to Love Teaching Again. And in the book, I'm sharing every single strategy I can think of to help teachers love what they do. They come out of college really passionate, but the actual job can really beat them out down day after day. And so I'm sharing everything from how to lesson plan faster, how to spend less time grading, how to have more of those aha moments in the classroom, how to redefine their whole definition of success have nothing to do with standardized testing. And so I'm really excited for this book to come out to the world because it's just something so incredibly needed in our space. And so I've written it. I'm like just sitting here waiting for the whole book writing process to happen so that I can um, sell it to teachers everywhere. I love it. Well, Jamie, if you don't mind, I'd like to even zone in a little bit more on what you were talking about with your, your math course and how your customers you you said they've effectively written this course for you. Can you can you share a little bit more on that? Yeah. This is something I've learned along the way. A lot of times as entrepreneurs, we create what we think our audience should need, should want. And I've made the mistake many times before creating a lead magnet or a product where I'm like, this is exactly what my audience needs. Only to find out they don't think they need that. And no matter how amazing it is, if they don't think they need it, it isn't going to be profitable or successful. And so with this course, we want to make sure that it's everything the teacher needs and wants. And so we're going to them with all the content. I started off by creating a general outline of what I thought each module would be about. And then I created a series of questions for each module. For instance, one of the modules about teaching math in a whole group setting, your whole class. And so we went to my groups, still use them every day. And I said, what's your biggest problem with teaching math whole, whole group? How much time do you have to teach math whole group? What resources do you use when you teach math whole group? What's, what's your favorite part of whole group? What's your least favorite part of a whole group? And their answers create the story for you. When you read the answers, you're like, oh, well, that's because you're not doing it this way. Let me write a lesson about that. Oh, I can solve that. I'll write a lesson about that. It helps you to not forget where they are because sometimes when you've been teaching about something or when you've been successful with something for so long, you forget that your audience is still on ground zero. You might be way up at ground, you know, 10 floors up. If you don't go all the way down to ground zero, you lose them. And so when I ask my teachers these questions, it reminds me like, oh, wait, didn't you read the blog post I wrote about that three years ago? No, they didn't. And so it reminded me of all the lessons I needed to teach. It gave me great ideas for bonuses and extra supporting documents that we're going to include in the course. And so when it comes out, they're going to see the answers to all of the problems they were telling me about in the Facebook groups. And that's how we know it's going to be the perfect course for them. I love that. And that's something that I think is so applicable to any point of the entrepreneurial journey. Like I think I know just because I do this myself, like you get tied up in trying to kind of be pres prescriptive with what you're trying to give people rather than just understanding what they actually want. Oh, I had a true problem with this in my 
early years, I, I thought that teachers only wanted to learn from someone who had like a PhD. And so I tried to sound like someone who had a PhD. It's not at all what my audience wanted when I started to be me, which is somebody who can be sarcastic and somebody who's kind of goofy. And in, yeah, in my course, I show up with a pink graduation gown and I do funny things. My audience liked that. They were sick and tired of a bunch of people with PhDs talking down to them. They wanted to hear from someone like the teacher next door to give them the hints and the tips. I was trying to be somebody that I wasn't because I thought that's what people would want. But people really just want you. The people who are going to buy from you want you. And the people who aren't going to buy from you, they'll be so happy that you didn't try to fake them into buying from you. Yeah. I mean, I think what that comes down to is, uh, is authenticity. I mean, in a single word, like that, that is something that I think has been like, you see this in every successful creator that I bring under the show. Like there is a, a, an authentic nature to what they're doing. Like I haven't, I'm yet to see someone who's, who tries to be something they're not, at least, at least within this business, this, this industry. And be successful with it. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I want to say is that I always want teachers to have fun. Fun is our, one of our core values at Not So Be Teacher. And we say we want learning to be fun for students. We want teaching to be fun for teachers. And we want working at Not So Be Teacher to be fun. So fun is everywhere. And so when we're making the math course, one of the brainstorm questions we had, and we, we do a lot of brainstorming before we get to the recording stage, was how can we make this course fun? And we started dreaming up all of these fun ideas. I don't know which ones we'll do, but it varied from like different things they wanted me to wear in different modules, jokes. Maybe we'll have math jokes in our course. Maybe we'll have um, summer beverage recipes because my audience said they wanted to be able to drink while they took the course. And I said, hey, you know, I, I'm okay with that. And so we started <laughs> to think like, how can we gamify it? Maybe we'll have different levels like video games do and, and you level up and you get a new avatar. And we just started saying, how can we make it fun? And when you start asking yourself, how could I make it fun? You start to create something that's very you, something that you can be really proud of and stand behind. But when people see me in the webinar, now I want the webinar to be fun too, because my course is fun and my business is fun and our resources are fun. We don't want them to come to a boring webinar. I've been to a lot of boring webinars and it's fine. If you're, if you're a straight-laced webinar person, then you sell a straight-laced course and everyone gets what they expected. But I wanted my webinar to be fun. So we put a skit in the webinar. And now my audience, when they watch the webinar, they realize I'm a little bit goofy. So if they're not <laughs> looking for a little bit goofy, they're not going to buy from me and that's okay. Yeah. And it's so, I, I imagine it's just so freeing for you to not have to try to be the, the PhD. It is. I don't have a PhD. I know it's really challenging to get one. And I am not saying that it's not an honor, but I can't pretend to be something that I'm not. And it was so great when I realized my audience didn't want that anyway. And that they they were more amazed by the fact that it was like a real person with, with kids and stuff like going grocery shopping. I write to my audience every Friday and I tell them what I did that week. And it's stuff like my teenagers fought at the dinner table and potty training, <laughs> stuff like that. And they're like, you're so real. And I'm like, I am. I do all the same things you guys do. Out of curiosity, was there any change like that you saw in the numbers or in the momentum or in any area when you kind of transitioned from the, I don't know, we're calling to the PhD to the, the more you everything changed. But I think the biggest change was for me because I liked my business more. And when you like your business more, you show up differently. You show up more often, first of all, but you show up with a different kind of energy. And when I was trying to write my emails to sound like they belonged in an education textbook, that wasn't fun. So guess what? I emailed my audience less. When I started writing stories about the funny things my kids did, then it was hilarious. Now, every day I'm like, Oh, this is a story. And I'm like putting it in the notes app on my phone. I'm like, 
like, this is an email. I'm going to send this an email. Now I send more emails to my audience. I have more fun with it. I get responses all the time. Like, you're just so real. It, it's sad <laughs> that people have to push reply and say, you're just so real. It means they've had so many experiences before with people that didn't feel real to them. Has this simultaneously became like a like behavioral control thing for your children because they know that mom's going to put them on their newsletter if they do something crazy? <laughs> yeah, they, they make it in my newsletter a lot. One time my daughter <laughs> stole my popcorn and I wrote a whole email about it and she was so embarrassed. But now they think it's kind of funny. Just last night at dinner, they were telling me various things that I should put in my email. And they were like, we're charging <laughs> for this. If you use this in the email, then you have to pay us. <laughs> <laughs> so it wore off quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh boy, that's funny. Um, well, I guess for anyone who's interested in actually learning directly about it, maybe even you have some teachers listening who want to take advantage of some of your courses, your webinars, or your Facebook groups, um, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Best way to find us is on our website, notsowimpyteacher.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, also notsowimpyteacher. I love it. Well, we'll of course have that in the show notes for you. Well, thank you again, Jamie, for taking the time out of your day. I'm sure you're in the middle of doing lots of teaching. You have, was it five kids, I think I saw? Yes, five kids, but four of them are in school all day. So only oh, one at home, which okay. makes this sort of the dream job where I get to, to hide away in the office and get my work done. But I still have so much family time. I do not work 24-7, even though I run a successful business. I choose to work 15 hours per week because that's the kind of lifestyle I want. And so I created the business that supports the lifestyle I want. That's absolutely amazing. I, and something that like, and actually I, I, we normally talk about a little bit, a little bit about this anyhow. So I'm glad that you, um, glad you went here. Like, like you, you, you've created a business that supports your lifestyle. Anything else like that that's worth noting for the listeners in terms of like, what's changed for you as a result of this journey? Well, I was a teacher who worked like 60 hours per week. And then I was still trying to start a business. So I would work on my business at night and on weekends on spring break. I went on a cruise once, which I won. And I was less than planning on the cruise. I was used to working all the time. And I had that hustle mindset. Like if you are going to be successful, you have to work hard, which hard to me meant lots. Like it needed to be painful. You got to have all nighters. You don't even deserve success if you don't do that. I had this mindset that money's hard to make. So if you're going to make it, you're going to have to work really hard. It's something that I realized I had from my childhood. Like money doesn't grow on trees. And so early in my business, I tried to work every minute. I worked whenever my kids were home. I worked on breaks. I worked while they were taking ballet class. It wasn't healthy and it wasn't sustainable. And I didn't like my business as much during those times. So when I left teaching at first, I was like, well, I'm not teaching anymore. So I now have like at least 40 hours to devote to my business. I got thinking about it and I was like, but that's not actually what I want to do. That's not the life I have dreamed about. I want to spend more time with my children. I used to be a stay-at-home mom. I miss them. Like they're growing up. You get 18 summers with your kids. I don't want to spend one of them working. And so I decided to work 20 hours per week. And I have a lot of things going on in my business. It's not easy to get everything in in 20 hours. And at first, it definitely Definitely didn't fit at all, but it made me get serious about looking at everything that I do and deciding what, what's the most important. And those three priority tasks 
get put at the beginning of the week. I calendar out my week. I calendar exactly what time I'm going to be finishing, not working. I learned this from my coach, finishing each task. And so the list, it doesn't all fit on the calendar. But that's why I start with the three most important. At the end of the week, I can say I completed three really important tasks. I also learned how to hire out and ask for help, which was so hard for me to do. I thought, I'm the only one who can do this. Um, I don't know why I thought that because I had no actual skills or talents when I started. And somehow I grew it all by myself. But I also thought there wasn't a soul in the world who could help me with even password protecting a PDF. Like I thought that (laughs) was like, no, no one can do that. So it took me some time. I had to hire people and I didn't give them ownership. I gave them lists to do. And I was like, gosh, this isn't helping me that much. It'd be faster if I just did it myself until I realized, oh, that's because I'm not giving them the ownership. So now I'm working really hard. It's an ongoing journey. Like I don't think there's a day where you're like, wow, now I'm a great CEO. I'm a great boss. I've got this all down pat. Like I think you're always learning. There's a new something that pops up every week that teaches me a new lesson, but working on ownership. And ownership means that I tell someone on my team, your job is to get leads to our email list. Now she has to decide how. She has to create the plan. I used to create all the plan. I'd be like, you'll write this, you'll do this, you'll post this. Now I'm just saying, get leads. And she has to come up with the how. And she has to implement it. And I'm around to review. And I'm around to answer some of the higher level questions. But I step out. Because if I want to be involved in all of it, then I'm going to have to work more hours. And that's not the life I wanted to live. So I now have cut it down to 15 hours. This is a little bit of our off-season. I work a little more in the summer. This is kind of our off-season because teachers are pretty busy right now. I work 15 hours, spend a ton of time with my youngest who's home with us, ton of time with my husband, and uh, read books all the time, kind of trying to refine hobbies that I forgot I had. I might even scrapbook one of these days. But we are going to create the business that gives us the life we want instead of having a business in place of our life. So basically nothing's changed. You know, (laughs) you know, not a ton. We travel a lot and and we work part-time. I told my husband, I said, as soon as this interview is done, I'm done for the day. And that's the truth. Like I'm done for the day. So whatever we want to do now that the rest of the day is ahead of us and not very many people in this world have a job like that where they love it while they're working in it, but it doesn't, isn't their whole life. Like there's something beyond work for them. And I love that, but I had to create it. It didn't just like plop in my lap. I had to decide it's what I wanted. And it meant I had to give up some things and I had to say no to some things. Absolutely amazing. Well, Jamie, once again, thank you so much for joining us. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Well, uh, just a quick reminder to all our listeners out there. We'd absolutely love it if you hopped on to your favorite podcast platform, left us a review, leave leave me a comment. I'll shout you out during the show. I, I check those religiously, so send those over. Thank you all again. And we will look forward to seeing you all next week on the Kajabi Edge podcast.